Hello, and thank you for listening to Literacy Matters. I'm your host, Cheryl Lundy-Swift. Today, I'm here again with Leslie Zoroya, who's, <laughs> it's great to have I'm you back. I'm back again. <laughs> you're back again. Um, and Leslie, just to remind everyone, you are the project director for reading and language arts at the Los Angeles County of Education. And I mm -hmm. want to welcome you back to the show. Oh, um, thanks. It's great to be here again. <laughs> <laughs> I have just had such a pleasure talking to you about our series that we have entitled, Putting the Pieces Together, Building an Effective Literacy System. And we have talked about, um, you know, district personnel, and we've talked about school leaders and teachers. And now today, we're going to talk about some of my favorite people out there, uh, <laughs> literacy coaches, which I know can make, or or instructional coaches, if you call them that. In yeah. District. So, um, you know, I want you to know, I think instructional coaches can be the heartbeat, for sure, of a school district. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, and I know you have lots to say about it, right, Leslie? Yeah, I mean, we work a lot with with literacy coaches, and they're such an important piece of the puzzle. So I'm excited to talk about them today. Awesome. So why don't we start by asking, I'm going to ask you, what are the benefits of having a literacy coach on your staff? What can they do to support this important work? Yeah, so I've seen lots of different models of how people use instructional coaches or literacy coaches, but like everything, the devil's in the details. <laughs> uh, there are, the benefits really are many to having a literacy coach, but if they're utilized effectively, right? Yeah. So in terms of how they would support the, the work, they would ideally be helping um, teachers administer those assessments when needed. They'd be running maybe data chats or grade level PLC meetings. They'd be tracking that data and student progress. They'd be doing demos for teachers on maybe new curri supplemental curriculum that they have, or they'd be conducting PD for new staff. So that's yeah. one of the critical roles in, in maintaining a quality system is making sure that you have somebody on your site or a district coach who's available who can come and train new people as, you know, people come and go a lot in schools. So in order to maintain the integrity, that literacy coach can be the one who's also, you know, providing ongoing PD, but also PD to new folks who are coming in so that you don't kind of mess up the system that you have in place and that everybody feels like they're part of the work that's going on. And so I really see it as, um, you know, the ultimate support, support provider and that uh, teachers see this person as their ally. And that's, that's tough. Yeah. That's a tough role to, it, it requires so much skill. And, but when it's there, it can be a game changer. Sure. And I have seen it in our pilot schools where we have gone from, and I'll give you a specific example later, but where we have gone from coaching as kind of this, you know, other role over here to really in the classroom being the pivotal linchpin of the whole program. So, yeah. So there's, there's a lot that goes into it though. That doesn't just happen automatically. Sure. I mean, I think it's really also, it's a, like, it's a, it's a dance between the administration yeah. and the teacher. And I think one of the things you said, it's a non-threatening supportive role, yeah. which is how the work kind of gets got done. What really is the responsibility of a literacy or instructional coach in an effective tier one literacy program? Yeah. So I really see those folks as the glue. They, they hold the whole, and it's a lot of pressure to say that, to put on a person, but I really see them as the glue that holds the whole program together. And the, the reason that I say that is because, you know, we have this notion and this ideal in schools that principals should be the instructional leader. And, and I do believe that, but let's yeah. face the current reality, which is 
that some principals are inundated and overwhelmed and some do not always come with deep reading knowledge yeah. they don't know they don't know what the the elements of an effective literacy program are and so i don't think that it was necessarily something that elementary principals were taught either you know okay. just as some of our teachers didn't get that instruction i think that some um, administrators did not either and sure. we're really trying to remedy that and I would I would hope that folks out there listening would think about that and would make sure that their administrators are just as well versed in the research around reading yeah. and the program that they're wanting their teachers to deliver I know it's a tall order but it's really helpful and the schools that we're seeing that have made just phenomenal progress are the ones where the the principals integrally involved they know yeah. but in the meantime that literacy coach really can be the bridge between what's happening on the ground and in the classrooms and that systems work that keeps a program afloat so yeah. they can help it's still the the principal's responsibility to monitor the program that is not the the role of the coach but the coach can definitely help with sustainability they can they can be looking for program fidelity they can be training new folks. They can be shoring up areas that are weak. Yeah. So if they're seeing that, you know, I don't see the teachers really spending much time on uh, phonological awareness. They're not starting their lessons with those sounds and doing deep sound work. They're kind of skimming over it. Okay, well, that's something that a principal is probably not going to know. They're right. not going to recognize that. And so the, the literacy coach can be the one who says, okay, you know, I need 15 minutes at the next staff meeting to do a drill down on phonological awareness because sure. I'm seeing this as a problem. And so that is really, um, that is how <clears throat> you hold the system together is you have eyes and ears sure. who are, and it's, and it requires a system. And the coach is just the, the kind of integral piece of all of that. Yeah. And I don't know really how a school could could manage this if they didn't have a coach i don't most of the schools that we work with have a literacy coach or they have a coach at the district level that oversees several not oversees but works with several schools sure, supports sure, sure. several schools so i mean you could do it that way but without somebody who has at least part-time and ideally full-time but at least part-time out of classroom time to go and provide support. It's just yeah. so important. Awesome. Well, you know, it's um, it's so it's so important, and I, I can't say enough that you're right. As a as a as a principal, I could not do it without my coaches. Yeah, which is were integral. But you know, as as I look back and reflect on my practice, I don't always know that I leveraged them the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I so I know that sometimes again that balance is is tough. So yeah. what do you think are some of the challenges that literacy coaches face and, and, and how can we address them? Well, it's the challenges can be huge <laughs> and many. <laughs> it's a tricky role, right? So they're not administrators, first and foremost, and they're not supposed to be evaluating teachers. Right. And we all say that. And yet it's really it, teachers can often feel and some of this goes down to personality of the coach. Sure. That's where those interpersonal skills come in and training of the coaching strategies. Yeah. yeah. So if a coach goes in and has kind of a, I'm going to fix you attitude, that's probably mm -hmm. not going to go over so well. So right. it really is about, you know, those two things we talked about earlier, but then it's also about the administrator really needing to work hard to not put them in a position to where it feels like that. 
So it means allowing that coach to have their own little separate relationships with teachers and not be like the person who rats them out <laughs> when things are not going well. You know, yeah. you don't want them, the coach running to the principal and saying, okay, this, this classroom is a hot mess and right. here's why. Instead, if a coach has an issue, the coach can say, I think you should, should go, you should spend a little more time in room such and such and see what you think. But you've got to keep those two relationships, the administrator relationship with the teacher and the coach's relationship with the teacher completely separate. The other thing that I think is challenging is that the coach is often pulled to do <laughs> every other thing that the admin doesn't have time to do. So they really should not be you know, a substitute teacher and the LPAC coordinator and the community liaison and the school nurse and the custodian and the yeah. secretary. And you know, it's, it's, it's tempting for an admin, especially if you don't have other people, a lot of other staff to fulfill roles. This is really hard. And they'll go, hey, you're out of the classroom. Can you go cover this? And can you do this? And really the answer should be no. And that's, that's hard. But if you are building a program that you are truly uh, dedicated to and working hard to make a really solid tier one effective literacy program, sure. then you have to protect that coach and protect their time. Yeah. So that's the the second thing I think that's that can become really challenging because some some of our coaches are not really coaches at all. They're like jack of all trades. Yes, they are. So we're actually working with a cohort of coaches right now. And so we were talking to them about when you go into the classroom and one of the teachers wrote in the chat, we don't really go in the classroom. And I'm like, uh, the other challenge that I was going to think about was the fact that some of our coaches have had issues with um, other teachers being either jealous or not understanding their role. So mm -hmm. transparency is critical. Yeah. The whole staff needs to understand and it needs to be spoken out loud. Mm -hmm. Like, what is the role of our instructional coach? Why do we have this literacy coach here? And talking about what are the expectations for that job? and how teachers can access that support. Like, what's your system for that? Do you just email them? Do you go through the principal? Do you, you know, so whatever your system is needs to be made clear. And then the kinds of things that a coach is um, kind of expected to do, or, you know, the support that the teachers would like them to provide. So when we work with coaches, we always stress this notion of absolute transparency. So there are things you can do to promote that even with people you're not working with. So we yeah. we would have in one project I was working on, we would have all the coaches send out either a weekly email or a monthly newsletter or something mm -hmm. that highlighted uh, the work they were doing and like gave shout outs to teachers yeah. and you know, thank you so much, Mrs. So-and-so for letting me come into your classroom. I loved this, um, yeah. you know, and then just maybe giving coaching tips. Here's some things you can do and some resources and just being in communication with the staff so that you can be talking about the kinds of things you're doing. Because if I'm a teacher and I've never really worked with a coach and I'm afraid, because it can be scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm a person who, or I'm a veteran teacher. And I feel like, you know, what are you going to do for me? Right. They need to see that. They need to understand what you can do. So, and create this kind of culture of we're all in it together. I think it's, you know, start small. We always tell coaches like, go with the willing. Who's your young, eager, 
<laughs> little floundering teacher who's like hanging on by a thread, you know, go to them and start small, start with the ones who are willing and then show them, show the staff what you're doing and have people speak out loud about it. And then heap on the kindness and support to people who have been resistant, you know, just and talk to them. How's it going? You know, what's going well in your classroom? Would you mind if I came in and took a look? When when would be a good time for me to come and see what's going on in your classroom? And it doesn't always have to be about the teacher. The coach can approach it from, hey, I'm really working with these couple students and I want to see how they're functioning in your classroom. When would be a good time for me to come in and watch them? And making it more about student focus, because it really is about students anyway. I, I always think about what I what I did really well for my for my co instructional coaches and yeah. what I didn't do so well. So yeah. let's help and our there. school leaders out there. <laughs> and I'd love love to know, like, what can school leaders do to really help literacy coaches be more effective and feel more valued as well? Training is key. So just like in sports. Not every athlete can be a coach. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it, it's really true. Like not every basketball player then becomes a coach when their career playing is done. And that's because the skill sets are different. And so we need in, in education to be thinking about it the way that sports thinks about it. That think carefully about who you put in those roles. So, and give them proper training. Like coaches, yeah. and, and that's why coaches are are really fired in sports when the team doesn't do well. <laughs> and I'm not saying we should fire literacy coaches when the teachers don't do well, but it's that it's the impact that a coach can have. Sure. And if they're really well-trained and really good at working with people, you've got yourself a combo that can create a really powerful situation in school. So it's supposed to be therapy, <laughs> therapy for reading instruction, you know, I mean, that's kind of how I like to, it's an ally. It's a support. Yeah. I want coaches to feel like when they walk into a teacher's classroom, the teacher goes, Oh my God, thank God you're here. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad you're here. And yeah. can you watch this for me? And can you tell me what you see when oh, this yeah. is, when this lesson is done? Like that's, that's the ideal. And, and yeah. it's possible. I've seen it in a lot of places. Yeah, I, th I think instructional coaches have such great power. They can yeah. develop um, awesome teachers. And that's really that's really their, their role, right? And so we know that awesome teachers uh, produce proficient readers, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> and teachers. So, so how do you think a literacy coach can help hmm. students become more proficient readers? So again, because we know that that obviously the 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 literacy coaches or or the instructional coach is really working directly with teachers, mm -hmm. but ultimately how do they support students? Yeah, I mean the role is really twofold in most schools. So we do have um, some coaches that are utilized as like tier two interventionists as well. Mm -hmm. So in some models they may coach for part of the day or on certain days, and then they do pull out groups for tier two intervention um, some of the other times. Um, and this, this model can, can work, but what it's not necessarily effective if you have hordes of kids that are being pulled out for tier two intervention with a coach. And I've also seen that where it's like, oh, well, we, we have a tier two interventionist who's also our coach, but she's spending every day, all day, pulling out hordes of kids doing small group instruction. So what that points to is the fact that the coach really doesn't need to be doing that. <laughs> Right. Instead, they should be, it, it points always back to tier one instruction. Sure. So anytime you have lots of kids that are being 
um, uh, um, recommended for tier two. I couldn't think of the word. <laughs> uh, recommended for tier two intervention based on their diagnostic. Um, that always is a red flag to me. It's like, okay, if you know half a class or a quarter of a class in tier one is not getting it through the tier one instruction, right. we got to look at the tier one instruction. What right. what is it? Is it are they not getting enough practice? Are they not getting direct instruction in the targeted skills that they're missing? So I, I'm always hesitant to have a coach be in that dual role for a lot of their time because it really points to, no, you need to turn back, turn that coach back around and focus a lot of that support on tier one instruction with the teacher. So um, this is a big issue in California right now because we are just beginning the switch from balanced literacy to structured literacy. And sure. so we have a lot of kids who qualify for tier two intervention. But we're really sending the message as much as we can. Don't hire more intervention teachers. That is not the solution. Right. Solution is if you have money for, for hiring teachers, hire more tier one teachers, more classroom teachers, yep. lower the number of students and really target in on your instruction and have your coaches working with that tier one program. Because ideally, and what we know from the research is that there should be smaller numbers who need that pullout service. Yeah, there's always going to be kids who need extra time, extra practice right. with with isolated skills. But you know, overall, most kids should be getting it if you have a quality materials, a good pro solid program, evidence aligned program, yeah. and you know, a solid coaching system in place and you're really on it. And you know what those skills kids are missing and you're addressing those in small groups. So Yeah. Yeah, I it's it's the whole model of, you know, interventionist slash coach is problematic. And I think as a com education community as a whole, we really need to be thinking about that. It's not to say there shouldn't be interventionists, but they should not. That should not be the coach's role and primary role because then you're not utilizing them effectively. So it's something to think about for sure. We tell them all the time, our coaches in our pilot schools, you guys are the glue that holds it together. You really are. You're yeah. you're keeping this project afloat because you're the eyes and ears and you're the support and the teachers really see you as that. So it just can be such a powerful um, role. And I would really hope that people would maximize it. They yeah. would you know, really work hard to provide training and support to coaches and make sure that their coaches feel like they're doing the work they need to be doing and and that it's a powerful um, experience for them as well, because it really can make a huge difference between an effective system and tier one literacy program and one yeah. that is limping along. Yeah. And we, we don't want to limp along. We no. want to <laughs> no get there. Right? No limping. We want to get there sprinting and with great strides. Leslie, it is always a pleasure talking <laughs> to you. And I'm looking forward to our next session where we're going to be talking about family and, and yeah, going to be rounding out the series here with family. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. Okay. See you then.